You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Bratzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy. What will your legacy look like? Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I am your host, Matt Rawlings, teaching pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. I am joined by four gentlemen with decades and decades of ministerial experience, beginning with right to my left, Ken Eidelman, the former president of Ozark Christian College and senior pastor of Crossroads Christian Church, correct? Scott Rawlings, a.k.a. my dad, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio. Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church in the Louisville area. Dr. Don Wilson, founding pastor of CCV in the uh, Phoenix area. And today we have a, a special guest joining us, Dr. Bobby Harrington, uh, the head of Renew.org. You've talked about the need for clarity strong belief system, and I think that's true, but that's got to go in tandem with a, a, another virtue, and that is courage. Yeah. And I, I think what's lacking in most of our churches today is this script, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God goes with you. We are so afraid of criticism and so afraid of uh, media scrutiny that we tiptoe on the edges trying to avoid criticism. I've got a brother who does a lot of interim preaching, and a few months ago he texted me. All I said was, God's plan for marriage was one man for one woman for one lifetime, and that means the cohabitation, divorce, and homosexuality are outside the will of God. A couple met me at the door and said, we're never coming back. It's just that kind of hate speech that caused our son to commit suicide. Why can't you just love everybody? I'm telling you, one word, one word made that emotional, angry reaction. And preachers know that. And so they avoid the subject because nobody likes to get shot at. Yeah. And for us to have clarity is going to take some new courage on I, the part of, of church leaders. I totally agree with you. To the, to, I'm, I'm still the lead uh, pastor at, at uh, the church I planted 25 years ago. And I can tell you there, there's such a change. Things that you could say even 10 years ago without people literally standing up and walking out, right. it's changed now because it's basically some version of you're a bad person for believing that and we've got to get out of here to show you that. And so people literally will stand up and walk out on topics like the one you just said, Bob. I want to get all of you on this, but Don especially you, because for, for 20 years, I've heard that the Phoenix area is one of the most unchurched 
in the United States. It, Seattle, you know, San Francisco, so forth. And so you were God's instrument to build one of the biggest churches in the country there. You had to face some of, a lot of this, did you not? Yeah, I, th- I think it depends on how, first of all, you're raised as a child. I was raised on a family where I had many cousins who were alcoholics, but none of my family drank. The persecution I've received from Christians for not drinking is unbelievable. And today, even more so pastors. And so I was raised to stand alone for what we felt was right. So consequently, I was able to grow a church where if you don't agree with what I'm saying, and I think it's biblical and you leave, it didn't tear me up. I I was raised to have more courage. But you're right, the last three years, uh, our pastors have been hit with with a trifecta. Mask or no mask, Mm -hmm. COVID. Black Lives Matter, what you say or don't say, people are leaving, and the political thing. And so for the first time, many young pastors have been hit with three incredible things that divided some of the best people in their church. And that's why, like, what is it, 40%, 42%, the latest statistic, are thinking about quitting ministry. Well, I want to say to the young pastors, you haven't seen anything yet. If you think that's the persecution you've faced in the last three years, go ahead and take a stand for biblical truth and it's, it's going to get worse. Probably one of the greatest compliments, uh, Bob and I were talking yesterday, for most of the people in my church, they said, Don, one thing we knew, we knew where you stood. And so when you preached there for 35 years, we didn't have to guess what your foundational beliefs were. And so with that clarity gives me confidence and boldness as who I am. I answer to a higher power, which is the Lord. And so I think um, if you buy into trying to please people, you're going to be a nervous wreck in our culture, and it's going to get worse because, again, there's personal experience has taken priority over truth. Well, how much do you, because you had one of them, and I don't want to go to you guys, but because you built such, you and Bob both built really large churches from the ground up, but today it seems like in leadership circles, it's only we only hear talk about systems and so forth, but not... Uh, the preaching doesn't come into it. The theology doesn't come into it. Biblical worldview doesn't come into it. And there seems to be a view that you can't build a large church if you're going to be bold and say what the Bible says, especially about issues of sexuality and, 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 and so forth. But you've done it. I saw dad, you know, build a church of over a thousand, a town of less than 20,000 doing it. Um, I, I don't think that's true. I still see, you know, I know he's semi-retired and he's fighting cancer, but Tim Keller built a church of 5,000 in Manhattan preaching on the sanctity of marriage and being pro-life and so forth. Tim Keller once said that somebody walked out on one of his sermons and said, you hate to see anybody walk out. Nobody likes that. But in the back of my mind, he said, I kept saying, I am not a coward. I am mm. not a coward. And you know, here's here's something that that I've observed, Don. Both you and Bob, I've heard you talk about your fathers. I've never met either of your fathers, but you had strong male presence in your growing up years. You had traditional marriage. You had uh, mothers that were contented and they were secure, and that spawned in in you the kind of conviction that's needed. Well, there's no conviction, and I think this is this is what's happened the last few years. Pragmatism has replaced conviction. Uh, 
Um, and we think that the way to grow our Bible colleges is diversify our offerings and shrink down our Bible um, our Bible core in the curriculum, and that's exactly the wrong strategy. And uh, and so you know, I just I think your point about courage, conviction, is is important. And without without that, you know, you got relativism, and 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 the fogginess and the insecurity, uh, and the uncertainty that we're we're seeing out there. I'm I'm amazed today the number of people that I believe are looking for a church where the preacher is simply going to preach the Bible. Uh, I, I find people in droves that have been past members of churches for 30 years, and if you'd give them a Bible uh, test on bi- basic Bible knowledge, they'd flunk it. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I think most of our preaching in the last few years has been more therapeutic. How do you feel? Stress, anxiety, and all that, which you have to have some of that, but you get your truth from the scripture on how to deal with that. And so uh, I I really think the next few years, we're going to find the churches that are growing are for the preachers that know how to go back and open the Bible and preach biblical truth and apply it to their daily lives. That's what I think the future of the the church is going to be. It's funny you say that I, I was, before COVID, I was part of a panel at Kentucky Christian University and and Bob was there uh, along with Dan Issel, and and they asked me, "What do your what do you your legacy, Matt? What do you want it to be?" And I said, "This is funny because Sunday I preached wearing a T-shirt that said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten.' You're asking me about my legacy. I said, "I don't I don't want any you know legacy. I've just I have decided that um, when things become cloudy, ambiguous, I think you go back." to the founder's mentality. When my father started Christ Community Church in 1970, he typically preached verse by verse through scripture. Um, we would have contemporary songs starting in the late 70s, but mixed with hymns. We would So it was a little bit um, new, a little bit traditional. I said, I'm going to go back to that. That's what I'm going to do and just trust the word of God. And everybody except Bob looked at me like I was crazy. And Bob came up to me at the, at the, at the luncheon afterwards and said, if I was planning a church, that's exactly what I would do. Is, so if I'm hearing you all correctly and totally wrong, maybe it's time to kind of get back to basics again. Uh, Matt, I totally agree with that. Can I make an advocacy though as well? I believe that we are in a time where we, People need a tribe. Uh, I think that people around the nation need to know who are my people, where can I get resources, how can we help each other? And that's what we're trying to do at Renew. So everybody who speaks, writes, and leads for Renew is aligned around the same things, which I'm just going to call, we believe it to be the best of the restoration movement. And that clarity then, if you have a tribe, it actually helps people to stay aligned because there is a healthy peer pressure to counterbalance the peer pressure everywhere else to compromise and fudge on things. And it's not just a, a, an alignment or an encouragement to the same beliefs. So when you go to renew.org, you'll see the same things. If you look at the Real Life Theology Collection, uh, which is an exposition of our faith statement, you're going to find that there's clarity on that. And then uh, we focus it on 
not just elders and serious laymen. We have a book that coming out called Real Life Theology Handbook for Teenagers. And then next year, we have uh, for parents of children aged 8 to 12. And if you want to talk about a, a meltdown, let's talk about what's happening to our children today. So we have a, a book coming out, 52 Questions and Answers for Family Discipleship, because our kids need to be taught at an early age what Scripture says and what the gospel is and where to stand so that you have families and churches and churches in a network, everybody advocating the same thing, avoiding the legalism of the right. I just want to say that again because so many of our listeners are going to be afraid of the legalism or traditionalism of the right. Uh, we, we, we've got to explicitly say that's not where we want to go. But we don't want to go to the progressivism and the fuzziness and the lack of clarity to the left because right now in this cultural moment, being fuzzy on what Jesus teaches is not going to be helping people. You, you brought up the tribe thing. I, I want to say, look, I planted a church in 2008. And, you know, I, I was at that church for six years as an elder pastor. And the average age was 23. We were a very young group of people. And a lot of artists and, and, and young musicians and stuff like that. But what I noticed was the irony that I you know, grew up in the restoration movement it dawned on me one day, I'm pastoring a Calvinist church because all of them, all these young men were listening to the same preachers from the Young Restless Reformed movement, all reading John Piper books, all listening to the same music, all buying t-shirts from the same place. And what I looked around and found was that this was a tribe. And I think that's one of the things that the Young Restless and Reform movement got. Well, they got really clarity. Well. Yep. They got clarity. They got a tribe. And, you know, we have that. We, we have the ability, uh, we have a lot of really uh, qualified, competent leaders, uh, biblical scholars. Uh, we just need a, a centralized message around it. I think that we need to, to be clear, as I've been saying, and we need to feature people who believe what we believe. There's too much today of getting the best leader, regardless of their tribe, putting them in front of everybody. Well, that is not going to reinforce the belief system they may have great leadership, and we do need to learn from them. But more than that, we, we need to make common cause around certain key beliefs that we want to promote and uphold. And a tribe of churches doing that, I think, is super important today. You know, I'm a Canadian, so until I was 36 years of age, I lived in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, my hometown. And I can tell you that Canada is more advanced in terms of the cultural Marxism some people call mm -hmm. it wokeness. Some people don't like that expression. But it's, it's more entrenched in Canada. And let me tell you what happens uh, where that is. My friends in the churches there, they speak very quietly. They're very intimidated. They don't have optimism about the future at all. And uh, I, I'm just wishing for so many of them, before all that happened, there was bold, courageous men and women of God with a clear message who created networks to support each other to withstand the antagonism. And there is more antagonism coming our way. So standing together is as important now as ever. This is what irritated Bonhoeffer about the preachers in Germany in the 30s, that there were so many that would just be passive about the policies of Adolf, 
Adolf Hitler and not speak out against it because they wanted to go along and not get the criticism and not get the heat. And, uh, you know, Bonhoeffer says when God calls a man, he calls him to come and die. Yeah. I really believe that we're living uh, in a time equivalent to Germany in the 1930s. I do too. And I think that, you know, we all need to band together for the, for the things that we believe. I, I will say uh, that I really believe we've also got to call people back to discipling relationships because uh, people need one-on-one or small groups where it's not about getting together, but it's about discipling in the teachings of Jesus so that people know in practical little bands, bands of brothers and sisters, how to be resistant to what's happening. Because there's, I'll just quote Tim Keller. Uh, he said, there's no way one hour on Sunday is going to out-disciple all the discipling from social media five to seven hours a day that people are experiencing. So it's biblical preaching, it's discipling relationships, it's pulling people together and uh, holding the banner of the gospel of Jesus as front and center. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Brutzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I have turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy. We focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries have been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we want to do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to kingdom generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. Please go to gomen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like? You know, you were talking, Bob was talking about courage. And one of the interesting things that happened to me, I didn't have anything to do with it. I just have to be on the receiving end. There are several older men in the restoration movement who, who for whatever reason, took me under their wing and, and held me accountable and, um, and were really encouragers at the same time. And we don't have that anymore. Old J.D. Murch used to, he wrote the book and he'd been at our church a few times. And, and uh, for some reason or other, he just, I think he felt sorry for me. And so he just kept kind of looking after me. I served under T.K. Smith in Columbus, Indiana. And Joe Dampier would come and see me probably once a month, but that was a little different because he, his wife died and he had a girlfriend in Indiana. and He used me as an excuse to come and go <laughs> see her. But, but these old guys would um, uh, stayed in touch with me all the time. And I'm telling you, courage is a lot easier when you know you're surrounded by some protection. And these old codgers were, were strong, were influential, and yet they were really kind of, uh, well, extremely helpful to me. And the only thing in this whole cockeyed world that I'm afraid of is my Lord and my first wife. That's it. <laughs> And you're only, she's your only wife, too. So far, yeah. yeah. 
Well, it goes back to what you, Don, you said basically the same thing, that you had not only men who taught you, but they provided the example for you, the model for you. I, I was just thinking something as, as he was speaking, and most of those mentors that I had came out of the disciples split. Really, mm-hmm. and and that's what drew them back, drove them back to the scriptures again. They were willing to fight. Yes, that that called us apart from the disciples that they b- believe were becoming culturally or theologically liberal. So I was mentored by some guys. Now that I think about it, that came out of that whole experience, and they were called back to the scriptures and the clarity of the Bible. Um, and say this is what we've got to do to reach the lost. See, you guys are uh, advocating for um, the thing I advocate for, which is discipling relationships. It was it was the it's these Indeed. kinds of relationships where it's eyeball to eyeball, it's life on life, it's the word of God, and it's encouraging each other. So it's not just advocating for you know preaching. It's got to be an advocating for disciple making and discipling relationships if we're going to make it. One of, one of the ways that we, we describe it is there's a lot of things that the disciples uh, wouldn't have bought into as easily except Jesus was in a discipling relationship with them. And so there was the context of the relationship that the disciples were able to understand things. I think it's true today, especially in the complexity and all the pressures. People don't just need a talking head on Sunday morning. Now they need that, but they need somebody to walk with them to help them understand and integrate it and see how the truths of Jesus integrate and are lived out in a human life. And I wanna, before we uh, quit here in a minute, cause we're almost to that point, but we've got a few minutes here. I wanna pick up on what you said earlier, Bobby. Because, you know, it was people like Jay Warner Wallace and others that we've had at our church and gotten to know and looking at other research showing the alarming number of young people leaving the faith. Used to say seven out of 10. Now it's closer to eight out of 10. And according to Jay Warner Wallace, who does this now full time apologetics and dealing with youth groups, he says that. You know, they're not checking out at 19 or 20 anymore. They're checking out at 12 or 13. And so we've got a lot of work to do, you know, and we've got to get busy or we're going to lose an entire generation. So uh, if, I, if I can address that, because I think that you put your finger on the singular most important issue. So in early August, uh, I convened uh, with my discipleship.org hat on uh, the top evangelical leaders uh, around family discipleship. So we had uh, the head of, uh, of uh, Awana, of D6, uh, Kurt Bruner, who used to be with uh, Focus on the Family, is actually really central to it. And uh, the reason that, that everybody came together, they came together under a guy named Tim Hawks, who's the lead pastor of Hill Country Bible Church in Austin, Texas. Church of 6,500, they planted 40 churches. Super wise guy. And here's what Tim concluded. If you have a 12-year-old and that 12-year-old is in a public school system with a smartphone, there's not much we can do for that child anymore. And the clarity of that statement by Tim Hawks is what I want to unpack just for a second. What's happening today is that parents don't know how to disciple their children 
Uh, churches aren't teaching parents, and most parents look to the church to disciple their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so what's happening is that parents are not being proactive with Deuteronomy 6, uh, which says, you know, teach these commandments to your children as you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on, you know, your hands, your foreheads, the door frames of your houses. So parents aren't learning to do that. But at the same time, what is discipling the minds of so many kids today is they're being handed a smartphone. And what is a curious 10, 11, or 12-year-old do? They're getting educated on sexuality from porn sites and from websites and social media that you cannot, you cannot imagine. You know, um, well, I'll just, I'll just pause there. I can, let, I let can me, dive more into this. Uh, let me just say this. So Tim is convening and Renew.org is working with them on a pilot project of discipling uh, parents to, to be a countercultural community of parents within a church who are explicitly leaning into what it means to disciple your children to live in that world, which will also be a world of great antagonism to anybody who holds to traditional Christian morality around sexuality and sexual identity. I think parents are waking up, though, to the fact that the culture is stealing their children's minds. And uh, I, I think the time for what you're, you're uh, contemplating doing here, you're in the process of doing here, is very timely because I think that parents are waking up to, hey, what is going on here? You're going you're gonna to talk to my kindergartners about their sexual identity? I don't think so. Listen to this. This was, um, I came on to this. It relates to exactly what you said. Four-generation fade. I don't know who the author is. Parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Number two, kids grow up. Make it less of a priority for their kids. Number three, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. Number four, those kids grow up with no concept of faith or God. Yeah, uh, Matt, I'm, I mean, this is your only interview with me, so I'm just going to make a shameless plug. Uh, we, uh, we published an article called The Present and Future State of Family Discipleship mm-hmm. on Renew.org, and I would encourage everyone to go and read that because this is the battlefield. This is the most significant thing we've got to call people to right now is to discipling our children to be faithful to Jesus in this cultural moment. And as I said, all the indications are the future is going to be much more antagonistic. And uh, we need bold and courageous moms and dads as well as preachers. Let me ask you this because it's been put on my plate here just recently. As Matthew knows, one of our fellows uh, sold his business here just recently. Their church got several million dollars for it. He came to me and he said, what do we have to do to start a Christian school? Are, is this something that we, because years ago, the Seventh-day Adventists, if they had a little church building on the corner, they had a Christian school there. Yeah. And, and whether we can do something like that today or not, it's a different issue. So, but, but I just want to put that on the table. Yeah, Scott, can I, can I address that as well? I feel a little bit bad about this stuff. So I feel like I've been in a conversation behind the scenes that's covering all of these topics because my team, we've been working on this for four years. 
So it could feel like I'm just coming in like a, a salesman. I, trust me, I'm not. I get nothing out of this. I just believe if we don't all work together on this stuff, we will regret it. And there are some, like our children and grandchildren need us to fight. So one of the things we initiated two years ago, they're called Renew Christian Academies. It's not a homeschool uh, because they're, with homeschool, there's, there's lots of problems, but it's not a Christian school because most families can't afford a Christian school. These are schools we set up in churches. It's, a home, it's uh, based on a tutorial model where the teaching is done two days a week on a Tuesday and Thursday with state qualified uh, teachers. They all have to also have a discipleship hour where good theology is taught and the kids receive from their parents the homework so that parents don't have to figure out what am I gonna lead them through the other, the other two days. It costs about a third of a regular Christian school and I believe that we've got to multiply these throughout the nation because the world in our school systems and elsewhere, again, it's out discipling our families and our children. Well, I, I may sound like a cynic, but I've given up on public schools. I just, uh, I, I think that uh, from the top down in Washington all the way down to the local issues, where most of the teachers now are all part of the union, that is run out of Washington, and it's as left-wing as Mount Saitung. Yeah, uh, Scott, I, I, I think we should all be concerned. Some families are still going to have their children in public school systems because they have no other choices, but those families have to really double their efforts to make sure that they're training their children in the ways of God. Um, basically, what I believe, I, I just, because I know our time's coming mm -hmm. to an end, Matt, I believe that there's a DNA of theological beliefs that come out of Scripture that our forefathers have been careful to champion. We call it the best of Christian churches. I believe we've got to fight for that today. We've got to fight for it against the enemies to the right and to the left. I think we've got to do it through discipling relationships. I think that that DNA needs to be protected and promoted. I think people need a tribe. We've tried to make Renew a tribe for that, to call people back to Renew the best of the restoration movement. And I really hope and pray all of you men and all of your listeners will help us in that quest. I, I just want to reinforce that and uh, just just say, you know, as uh, how did all three of your kids wind up in full-time Christian work and have a real evangelistic heart and a real heart for discipleship? And I've tried to look back and say, what did, what did we do that was different? And I was inconsistent at times, and I not, was not a perfect parent, and I was gone too much at times, traveling for the, for the Bible college. But one thing I did, every night I was at home, I put my kids to bed with spiritual counsel and laying a hand on them and praying that they would be influencers for Jesus Christ. That is the one consistent thing I did right. And, and I think that it made more difference than anything else. Now, on Monday night, I wanted to watch the football game, Monday night football. And I had to shut it off, and it didn't have a DVR, so I, back in those days, shut it off. I was going to miss it. But I said, get up out of that lazy boy and get in there and spend that, that time. Just recently, I, I paid my, my grandsons, four grandsons, 
paid him $200 an hour <laughs> to spend 10 hours with me going through the book, uh, Young Man in the Mirror by Patrick Morley. It led us into conversations I would have never had. I never had a conversation with either one of my grandfathers. Mm. But, but that's the best money I ever spent. And it, it, it helped help the kids get a car when, you know, when they turn 16 or 17 and, and uh, not a new car at all. But, but that's the best money I, I ever spent with those, with those grandsons. Those experiences, and I don't know who's listening to this podcast, but if you're out there in, in the, the listening listenership today, I just want to reinforce what you're saying about parents discipling kids. We have the most influence, more than the teachers. And I'm, I understand the public school is, is up for grabs. And, uh, and we can't depend on the church to do it in two, three hours a week. So parents have got to step up and, and take discipling, the best disciples you'll ever make, right under your own yeah, roof. that's right. And our, our church leaders have to focus on training the families how to do it. Because Can, uh, most people don't know how to do it. I need a new car. Would you give me <laughs> 200 bucks well, an hour to hang out with you for a while? I, 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 do, to go back to speak about bravery, if you want to uh, be on the receiving end of some barbs, uh, I preached this a couple times. I preached it this last Sunday. When you preach to parents, you have to make church a priority over your children's extracurricular activities. Quit missing church on Sunday to go to a soccer practice or a baseball game or that kind of stuff. Show them that you prioritize. They get mad, but I try to tell parents. If all your focus for your child is making them popular, happy for the moment, and successful, you may, they may get several decades of success, but if they end up going to hell from an eternal perspective, what does that do? Had a college scout tell me, said, Tell your parents, if your child is good enough to make it, we'll find them. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have to be enrolled yeah. in every weekend all-star game. We'll find them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Bobby, I want to thank you for joining us. I know you got a, a long drive home. but Well, thank, Matt, thank you and each of you men. Respect you so much and all the things that you've done. And uh, thank you for giving us good shoulders to stand on. Well, thank you all, gentlemen, and uh, I would just tell the listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed listening to this, and remember, if you want wisdom, go to those with experience. Talk to you next time. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.